0: Hello, and welcome to Girls Gone Cannon, A Song of Ice and Fire, episode 113, Davos 6, In a Storm of Swords.
1: I am one of your hosts, Chloe. And I am another one of your hosts, Eliana. We're here at unlucky number 113.
0: Oh my gosh. That is just superstition, Eliana. <sighs>
1: hmm.
0: Sounds like- Who do like... I sound like? Who do I sound like
1: Who do you, so- you? Who do you sound like? I don't know. It Sounds a little like a- uh... I think his name with the letter D. I don't know.
0: <laughs> I meant more you because you're always making fun of me with the Scottish play, but Davos works too with his oh, finger bones. that one. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, no superstitions here, truly. It's going to be a good episode. It's a, it's a strong, fast chapter. It's not as long as I remembered it being. The chapter is kind of succinct. Me neither. Yeah, it's clear. It's succinct. It's concise gets the point across, we say bye to Adric pretty quickly, and we bring it on in for some drama in the Painted Chamber.
1: Yeah, I actually, for some reason when I was going into this, I always remember this chapter being way longer and I think that's because it's one of the big chapters, right? It's one of the iconic chapters of A Storm of Swords, and maybe of the whole series.
0: Yeah, Stannis has a lot of really great sad speeches, lots of staring out of the window. I'm into that, uh, and Davos, his back sass is pretty strong. The back sass is strong with Davos throughout these last couple chapters in Storm.
1: Speaking of back sass, we did get... It's not quite an email and tweet a note, but our friend Jimmy, whom Chloe likes to point out his own sassy nature, reminded me recently in uh, one of the chats that we've actually forgotten and stopped asking people to send in their own versions of girls gone canon episodes and i want to remind people that our inbox is still open for that we still in fact want those episodes if you feel moved to do your own version of girls gone canon we are ready to hear it yes bring us your
0: inspiration if you're feeling compelled girls gone canon c-a-n-o-n at gmail.com We would love to see them. We have seen them from our friend Lo and their cat Tutiki, and that was a very fun episode. And Mm -hmm. uh,
1: I know there's some other ones out there. There must be. And along (laughs) with that, in terms of other people making presentations, we do have, again, a Discord brunch this month. We are still trying to nail down the date, but we will probably do it around the last week of January And if you're looking for information on how to join
0: the Discord, patrons in the Thunder tier and above, that's our $10 Patreon tier and above, have access to this. Uh, If you have a link that expired or haven't gotten a link yet, feel free to send us a message over at patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon, and we will get you settled with that. Along that same note, uh, our Discord brunch is a blast. It's a brunch slash happy hour this month's theme is going to be for our friend Cassidy, who's having a birthday, a bird and it is going to be day. a burb day, if birb you will. Day. It's, it's bird themed. In fact, right now our brunch is the brunch is called "I'm Like a Bird" in honor of Cassidy. I thought that was a good name to name it. It's deli yes. Furtado. Yeah, and I don't know. It's it's a fun time. We've been doing this thing. Some of you might have noticed during quarantine, there are little like games where you can make your, or people do little zoom parties and you can do a presentation on something. I think this was happening before COVID, but I feel like most things probably did, but I don't remember the times, (laughs) but yeah, there were like parties where you can make your own little slides and do a presentation to your friends. Maybe you're drinking or snacking. Maybe you're just hanging out, but you do a little presentation on something. So a lot of the patrons love to bring their presentations their slides and just teach us something or shitpost on main as the children are calling it. So come hang out with us. It's, it's a fun time.
1: It is. I, mean, I, I kind of want to present something for, I don't usually present something for these, but I kind of want to for the bird fiend. I know. I'm not sure what, uh, I thought about it too, but I might just see what rolls
0: in first. We've already gotten our first submission for slides this month.
1: Oh, yeah, that's true, we did. Also, in our fun things on Patreon, patrons $5 and up, this month we are going to do our Patreon episode about A Song of Ice and Fire, coming back to that, and we are returning to our cruise, our semester at sea, to the free cities.
0: Yes, we are on a tour, on our tour, as we are now the ladies of the house, we're old enough, we're uh, graduating, we're out there. And we're touring to Cohort mm. this time. I'm very excited. We're going to tour to Cohort, talk about the Cohoric, and uh, see what trouble we can stir up there. Yeah, maybe we'll run into a
1: cohort. Oh, my God. Maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> it's like, we're not. We're breaking up the podcast. I'm instead. turning the car around right now. <laughs> oh,
0: my God. Uh, on that note, before Eliana throws herself under the bus... Too fast there. The, uh, too the fast, meta- too
1: curious.
0: Uh, <laughs> we are doing our last lightning round in A Storm of Swords oh. for Davos. This is it. We're moving on after this, Eliana. We're moving on to A Dance with Dragons. Uh, there's a big skip. We're going to return with A Dance with Dragons, Davos, and we're going to chat about what we've missed in between, get you all caught up on that. But today we're going to talk about what you might have missed between Davos five in a storm of swords and Davos six in a storm of swords.
1: Yes. So we start off with John seven. John and Donal Noy fortify Castle Black the best they can, but some of the losses are much more personal. Brand four. Sam and Gilly bring them through to the Black Gate. Daenerys five Daenerys faces Betrayal From men she considered loyal to her. Tyrion seven.
0: Unable to please one of his wives, Tyrion realizes to save the woman he does think he loves, he must send her away.
1: Sansa 4. Sansa is informed of her family's death and must hold herself together at Joff's wedding festivities.
0: Tyrion 8. Tyrion's wedding festivities continue, until we don't.
1: <laughs> cough, cough. We'll come back to that. This is the after party this chapter. Uh, but there's another... <laughs> there's another after party um, it's the one that Sansa's going to <laughs> in Sansa 5 when she's whisked away in the chaos to head toward the veil and that leaves us with Jamie Seven
0: who returns a little late misses the wedding uh, and faces his son's and the after party. death Cersei's sorrow and of course his father's rejection and the after party so really poor Jamie, having a rough time
1: is this the after party? The <laughs> funeral? Lots I of think thoughts. so. It could be. It could be, arguably. But here's the other one. It's Davos 6. When we last left off with Davos 5, Davos questioned his confidence level and Stannis' decision making regarding Edric Storm. In this <laughs> chapter, Davos acts on these questions. Oh, he acts alright. That's for sure. <laughs> Amidst
0: the gargoyles and the evening sky, Melisandre's nightfires burn high, leading the songs, calling relore, while Queen Celise is leading responses. King Stannis stands beside her silently and sullenly, shireen between them.
1: So, I'm gonna start off, jump in deep right from the get-go. There's some fascinating language with a lot of double entendres here, or some other symbolism that's been used intentionally by George and Clash, and that's coming back to that imagery. One of them, of course, is the the line that Melisandre sings, is fill our hearts with fire, and I'm just like, fill our hearts, H-A-R-T-S, with fire, maybe? The <laughs> fiery hearts slash heart. We've been talking about it a lot, you know, Shireen and Stannis as the fiery hearts, with, you know, there's there's that one literal burning that's to come, and also, of course, the crown of fire uh, that Santa sees in the flames. But we also have something else where the night fire is described as large and bright against the darkness, and the the language itself says, shifting orange light through shadows 20 feet tall across the yard. All along the walls of Dragonstone, the army of gargoyles and grotesques seem to stir and shift. Hmm. So this idea of casting long, large shadows and it being a metaphor for power is obviously used throughout the books. Everyone talks about it all the fucking time, and we always talk about that quote from Varys, right? And that quote from Varys is, in fact, associated with Tyrion, right? He's telling it to Tyrion. Jon also sees this with Tyrion in A Game of Thrones when he sees Tyrion in a doorway and the light casting a large shadow behind him and him seeming like a king. And it's again used to describe Tyrion in Makoro's vision of Tyrion in A Dance with Dragons. Along with that, I think that this idea is strengthened in the following sentence as it highlights the imagery of the gargoyles and grotesques on Dragonstone. Tyrion has been described with the language of grotesque, and he even actually uses it to describe himself sometimes. And he's also (laughs) been referred to as a gargoyle right from his first introduction to us in John 1 in A Game of Thrones. So real early stuff. So I think it's really interesting that Tyrion's in the background slash subtext that's being emphasized here. And he does come back later on in this chapter, explicitly. But I think a lot of this imagery is, of course, presented in a sinister light, pun intended, and it makes sense. Though the reader has never actually seen, of course, Tyrion interact with Davos or Stannis. Obviously, he has with Stannis at court. Um, They're like brothers-in-law, in in a way. Tyrion does take a very antagonistic role in Davos' own storyline, right? I mean, it's Tyrion's wildfire in the bay, that leads to the death of Davos's four sons. But at the same time, I think that, you know, if you're reading this through, you can also see Tyrion's Clash chapters, especially where he's the Hand, as a sort of, like, precursor for what to expect for Davos in this book, because they are literally holding the same job. Tyrion tells us, you know, what sort of responsibilities and expectations of the job we should expect Davos to do. And in fact, that it even includes the protection of royal bastards in some way, Right. Davos whisks Edric away for his safety and Tyrion kind of does the same for Marcella and like, kind of, kind of eh, murky for Tommen even tricking a royal this time the queen to do so.
0: Yeah, that's a great point and the way that Tyrion actually handles the responsibilities and the way he kind of inwardly reflects and outwardly reflects at these responsibilities uh, it's funny because it reads a little closer to Stannis, right? With Stannis' why me Uh, in some ways, but Also that it's like this almost perverse way of you see Davos who is handicapped and he's not as high born and wasn't born in this beautiful high birth. But yet he's risen this high to this post and Tyrion's treated like he was born in Flea Bottom, right? Mm -hmm. He was obviously not born in Flea Bottom. His his birth was obviously very circumstantially well off. Uh, He's lucky to be alive and obviously his mother's not. And it's interesting to see how they kind of both deal with that, how Davos is almost gracious. And yes, Tyrion kicks it into business mode, mm-hmm. but afterwards things don't go quite as well for him.
1: Yeah, I mean, he does run into some bad luck. Davos Very does have bad luck. quite... Davos is actually, except for the part where he lost four sons, is quite lucky. It's a big thing. It's a big thing.
0: <laughs> really lucky, except for that.
1: Except for that. <laughs> <sighs> Queen
0: Selyse uh, and the other worshippers sing and respond to Melisandre. We thank you for the sun that warms us. We thank you for the stars that watch us. We thank you for our hearths and for our torches that keep the savage dark at bay. There were fewer voices saying the responses than there had been the night before, it seems, to Davos. Fewer faces flushed with orange light about the fire. But would there still be fewer on the morrow? Or more? Hmm. I love this. Uh, There's a lot being said in the blocking of this scene and in what's being said in prayer. You know, Shireen is standing between Selyse and Stannis, which is a normal thing. You'd expect a performance that the king and the queen are attending, that the princess would be there as well. But the fact that George is saying Shireen standing between Selyse and Stannis, uh, she's Uh the thing that's between them, quite literally. Okay. Stannis's disposition at the Nightfire is so obvious. He, he's not involved. He doesn't care. Uh, it reminds me of, in the very chapter right before this, it's a Jamie chapter, and he says, Every great lord has unruly bannermen who envy him his place. My father had the reins, the Tarbacks, the Tyrells had the Florence, Hostetoli had Walder Frey. Only strength keeps men in their place the moment they smell weakness. Then he goes off and he says, during the Age of Heroes, the Boltons used to flay the Starks and wear their skins as cloaks. Uh, safe to say, none of these men at the fire, especially as we're noting here that there will be fewer each day, none of these men at the fire envy Stannis' position. That's pretty obvious. They are using it as opportunity, though. Uh-huh. And here, what a great performance of Nightfire is on display. Stannis takes no joy. There's nothing to envy of Stannis. Another True. note, too, is that Stannis is hoping to go toe-to-toe with the Boltons that Jamie mentioned. Those are the Boltons that irk the Starks, and the Starks are probably going to irk Stannis.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, that's interesting. Because while there's nothing of Stannis to envy, there's much that Stannis envies of the Starks, especially Ned. Yes. There's this moment in all this when, like, Davos is watching Stannis praying with them and thinks he is with them, but not of them. And I'm just, it's just top of mind right now, you know, I'm like, well, if Stannis supports the policies and especially the actions of the Sacrifice Children by Fire Party, I think it doesn't matter if he's not of them. And I am going to gesture wildly at the events of the previous week. That's it. That's the thought. No, nope, that is a good thought to have. Uh, I think Davos
0: is experiencing firsthand as he kind of betrays his king. Like this is this is outright betrayal. Like, he 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 gets very lucky in how that this gets swing, but like it's it's kind of a betrayal for Stannis. I'm not saying it's the right thing to do. Stannis shouldn't be burning Edric. Jesus, settle down. But I'm just saying that like yeah, Davos did pretty much go against his king. Uh, And it's the right decision, but this should be proof that
1: you can't really fix the system from the inside. Yeah, not if you're not willing to stand up against the sacrifice children by fire part. (laughs) If you have to sneak around and spring free the child that's about to die
0: against your boss's orders. And I mean, again, we'll talk about it in a bit, but at least he does bring himself to be accountable for it. I mean, he stands up for what he Mm -hmm. believes in, but like... I don't know. It doesn't sound like your company is going in the right direction. I know it's a startup, but my god.
1: Investors, I mean this is why like he can't feels he he has no money to hire sell swords and all these things. All the investors are pulling the money out until later on the Iron Bank's like, Alright, alright, Stannis, we'll we'll take a couple of shares.
0: You're the least worst.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. Melisandre begins to thank the Lord of Light for giving them Stannis, and they pray to give him courage and wisdom, and I'm like, grant him wisdom, indeed. He needs it. He'll bring honor to us all. But <laughs> <And> he doesn't. <laughs> oh, not at all. Well,
0: we get Sir Andrew Eastermont again. Sir Andrew Eastermont comes to Davos's side and touches him lightly and brings him back into the present from his own thoughts of prayer to the mother. And says they best be off because it is some heist shit time.
1: Davos is ready to cause some trouble, stir it all up, yeah, oceans in parentheses, faith of the seven. I was quite proud of this. It doesn't work as well when I say it aloud, but if you read it, it's pretty good, pretty good joke. um also reading these chapters again, it's really emphasized the extent to which Davos keeps the faith of the seven within the relore regime and the fact that he has to be quiet about it and how people are like, do you mean you don't believe relore? like every two seconds to each other? Really, I think, plays up this idea of religious persecution in Davos' storyline as he's hiding his faith. And he's actually become even more faithful, it seems, right? Uh, since the Blackwater, especially praying to the mother. And, you know, he draws his strength from the faith of the seven. And I think that really speaks to this idea we've discussed in previous episodes of the Faith of the Seven actually having real power. It's not magic, but it's the power to turn things into reality through action. Um, And it has power in that it makes other people feel like they want to take action, like maybe the riots or... or that we'll see from the Sparrows later on. And it makes me think of this line from the other series that we cover. Mild spoilers from it, but there's these spiritual entities and they describe their effect on reality. Like, from what we are spirit, from what we do matter. And matter and spirit are one.
0: Yeah, that's a great way to look at it, especially in the face of him gathering these these random men that are, mm. as we'll cover them soon, they're not the men you think, right? Like, when you think of Stannis' camp, you think of the Queen's men. Mm-hmm. think of farting you think of Kate Clayton socks, and you think of i don't know Thort think of all the other dudes Axel all the garbage ones uh but these are the randos that are still left that still have a soul mm-hmm. inside of them uh, a beating heart and i love that he found them that that it does feel something special like that feels it, it's a great enough coincidence to make you believe in something again and there he goes again right reaching for his finger bones believing in something thinking we just might pull this shit off boys
1: and they do and then they all sail off and pull another heist maybe eventually i hope so
0: you know make it oceans eight A
1: really fun movie
0: you know you got castaway you got oceans 11 <gasps> oh you've got God. us just going through the hits oh on God. this podcast and soon enough you'll be able to hear us talk about pokemon the movie anyways also the, hits. the hits all the hits All the hits. All the hits. The prayers will go on for another hour or so, and time's running out. The longer Davos stays there, he thinks a smuggler must know the tides and when to seize them. That was all he was at the end of the day. Davos, the smuggler. His maimed hand rose to his throat for his luck and found nothing. He snatched it down and walked a bit more quickly.
1: So in terms of identity, you know, big theme for 8th graders in this story uh, Davos is it really embracing I think one of his identities here in Clash there was this big element of shame right that was being projected upon Davos by Stannis and some of the other nobles when they were telling him they're like oh you're a smuggler Wink, wink. And they were defining the narrative of what it means to be a smuggler for him, pushing him into thinking, like, this is evil and bad, so what's one more, like, bad thing, right? And getting him to be part of the assassination of Courtney Penrose. And that act of smuggling, of course, leads to Edric being taken into Stannis' hands for, I don't know, maybe waking stone dragons, so they hoped. So I think there's a poetry to Davos finally now embracing that aspect of his life and smuggling, and that being how he saves Edric's life. This time, as opposed to how Edric was placed in danger. And it makes me think again, like, of what the finger bones mean. They're brought up here. And Davos, like, he reaches to it for luck. As we know, he's very superstitious. But here he's making it his own luck, right? The finger bones were taken from him because he was a smuggler. And Davos, maybe he considers it kind of lucky, because in his head, you know, he remembers that, like, Roro Horus, his mentor, was beheaded. So he's like, it's great that I only lost some fingers. And, you know, the finger bones around his neck, they're a remembrance of the punishment due to his past. And it's kind of a badge of shame, right? And it's this idea that Stannis as a lord was one who gave him honor by removing those and by meeting punishment to him. But Davos actually losing those finger bones in the Blackwater and bringing us to this point, it, it's almost like that symbol of shame is finally gone. He loses it, and the shame that's attached to smuggling is also gone. There's nothing weighing him down, it's not hanging around his neck. Because in this moment when Davos is smuggling, it's actually one of the bravest and most noble acts that he does.
0: Yeah, he's retaking his act of smuggling, right? Because it was mm-hmm. very much taken away from him. Uh, he was half-tricked into it, even though he kind of knew what he was going to do. Uh, it- it's not fair. Mm-hmm. He finally gets with his group of companions. They're joined together, the King's Men. The Bastard of Nightsong with his pox-ravaged face and tattered chivalry. Same. Blonde and broad, Sir Gerald Gower. And, of course, Sir Andrew Eastermont, a head taller, spade-shaped beard with shaggy eyebrows. All good men, and all of them dead, if this goes wrong. This is kind of reminiscent of Jaime's Kingsguard discovery in the last chapter, I feel like, because he comes back to King's Landing and realizes, oh shit, all of the men here that are left to guard the king are trash. It reminds me of that differentiation between Queen's men and King's men in Stannis' camp.
1: that the the queen's men that are formally guarding Stannis are trash, but these men that are considered kind of ragged, right? They're the king's men, and they're in a way kings guard by guarding Stannis' soul. Davos thinks about what Melisandre told him about the fire and how seeing things in it works, and he warned his men that she may see what they intend, and Louis the fishwife commented, we should kill her first. And... (laughs) I, I... thought that the way that Mel described the way reading Flames works was interesting. She, it, it, on one hand, it reminds me, I don't know if you remember it, those, like, books, you know, you read them as a child, they were just, like, all these, like, crazy patterns, and you put, like, your face in them, yeah. and you pull them away, and there's, like, these hidden pictures in them. Did did you do that? I know what those are, yeah, I remember those. Yeah, I remember hmm. books. I could see it, Yeah. <laughs> Kind of reminds me of that, but there's another way she describes it and the difficulty of reading Flame. And she says, like a book whose letters dance and shift even as you try to read them. And I found this really interesting because it's actually quite similar to how many, not everyone, but some people describe what happens to them when they're reading with dyslexia. And last chapter focused a lot around Davos's literacy, how he's learning to read, and it'll of course come back here because of the whole like letter thing, but I find this interesting because, you know, Davos' POV chapters and, the you know, how he talks about learning to read, it doesn't actually seem to reflect experiences of dyslexia. And, of course, like, what I'm going to say next comes with this huge caveat that I might have been told incorrect information or, like, research has changed since I was told this, so if I'm wrong, apologies, please let me know. But Davos is, of course, learning to read as an adult, right? And learning to read later in life... Only getting access to, to literacy after childhood, which is a critical development period for your brain. And along with, you know, Davos potentially having had some malnutrition as a child, right? He he's from flea bottom, might not have always had a stable source for food, can in fact impact literacy acquisition as an adult and might lead to some learning disabilities which would include dyslexia. So I, I just found that really interesting language.
0: That is really interesting. It's an interesting way to read that. I mean, I really do appreciate and maybe this is just because of like hand disability. But, you know, you have Catalan, Davos and Jamie and John that immediately come to mind with hand disabilities, for example. But you don't have a lot of that first person POV on learning disabilities necessarily. And it's a hard thing to portray, right? Like, how would you portray that? Well, if you didn't have one Uh, And just developmentally speaking, like, it's interesting to watch Davos struggle at this. And also that probably the bravest thing and what, like, this would go in the annals of the bravest hand. You know, he's the mm-hmm. Barth here, that he is the one that literally said, hey, wait. You're sure you, you dealt with this? Do you realize what this says? Uh, it's a pretty big deal.
1: Yeah, it, there's something there showing, like, as... That wisdom and knowledge aren't the same, mm-hmm. or in D and d terms wisdom and intelligence are not the same,
0: yeah, and the the classist kind of background that can come with the idea that intelligence is just freely available to everybody, and that Davos pulls himself up by his bootstraps to get it, but like he wouldn't have been able to had he not somehow luckily quote unquote fallen into mm-hmm. all of this bullshit. <laughs>
1: But that's, like, absolutely true, right? Like, even if you yeah. hadn't, it, it's that, and that, what if Maester Pylos wasn't willing to teach him, right? There are maesters mm-hmm. who absolutely are invested in reinforcing these structures, so. Like, I can't see Pycelle being like, yeah, Davos, I'm gonna teach you. No. No,
0: not at all. Not at all. You know, another maester that comes up here is Davos, because he reminds him of Crescent's End. In trying to kill Melisandra, the, the first thing that comes up is, why don't we kill her? Davos is like, you know what happened to Maester Cressen. She's quick to sense threats to her own person. Ignoring her might be the only way to keep her out of the view of it.
1: It's so smart and interesting, and it actually works. Because Melisandra tells us in her chapter, she's like, the first thing she ever learned to see in the flames were threats to her. So... I mean, this was a fascinating theory, and it paid off for them.
0: Yeah, we're going to touch on it a little when Davos gets the realization as well. But it's an interesting reveal, and I think that it has to come back into play. I mean, Melisandre is mysterious, Mm, but George is giving us a few things of her. So I wonder if this will affect a later plot, maybe in the end of The Winds of Winter, or in A Dream of Spring, or something. That's interesting. I mean, you know, Valor only gives her snow,
1: that's true I mean maybe you know we we all wonder what happened in Melisandre's past if she's a fire white as some people have have described it and like what would someone attack her and then she'll be like I didn't see that
0: instead of cold hands it's like warm womb
1: I thought you were going to say hot hands I was like oh Um, yes the little (laughs) thing that you put in your pocket oh oh Uh, that's arianne martel yeah i mean it's probably also it's actually also melisandre it's both i don't know they might be cold they they are sometimes i know that george loves to describe like i'm so off topic um (laughs) we're talking about titties yeah perky he likes to describe like hard hard nipples and I'm like so they're all cold (laughs)
0: <laughs> everyone's cold right now no they're aroused nipples Eliana. what don't you understand about your nipples <laughs> never mind anyways <laughs> we've i have said too much so let's talk about tristan of tally hill tristan of tally hill who is a part of this group was a sunglass man originally now he only wears uh Lenses. No, I'm just kidding. He, he's oh. from House Sunglass. He's a man Sunglass sworn to House I... Sunglass. He's from House yes, Sunglass. Sunglass. Yeah. <laughs> do you think House Sunglass just sends out those horrible Ray-Ban ads all yes. the time and tags you in them? Ugh.
1: Yes, God. I do.
0: Tristan of Tally Hill was a man sworn to House Sunglass. And he's like, there's no honor in hiding and sneaking, Davos. But Davos says, uh, it doesn't really seem honorable for us to die like your lord did, and he tells him that he doesn't need men of honor, he needs smugglers, and asks if they're with him or no. They are. When you think about Tristan of Tally Halls, when you think about Tristan of Tally Hill's whole entire thing, he's stuck with Stannis. He has nowhere to go. House Sunglass, who, may I remind you, their sigil is literally the seven mullets, the golden stars on a field of white, their lord was sacrificed in Davos 4, Storm of Swords. The current Lord Sunglass, the brother to the Dead One, sails across the ocean to Volantis, similar to the act we'll see happen with Edric T'Lys, uh, to avoid Melisandra and Stannis after Stannis loses on the Blackwater. So Tally Hill, their lords are burnt and fled. Their ships are destroyed. The ships of House Sunglass and Sweetport Sound is basically lost to that family. Tristan of Tally Hill needs a new lord, man, because he has nothing right now.
1: Yeah, and I mean, he's not doing himself any favors by being part of this plot, so I wonder if Tristan's also you know, like, House Sunglass was devoutly Faith of the Seven, and I never realized the sunglasses thing now, and I'm like wondering, is that supposed to be like, they're not blinded by the light of R'hllor? Could be reading too much into it. Maybe. But oh, is Tristan yeah. like devout? I, could see that. I mean it could it might actually literally might be. I mean
0: Well that's yeah, the thing, right? Like this is the this is the family that you had the guard wearing the leftover uh white outfit that was left from Lord Sunglass before he got burnt, right? When he was wearing like the dusty overcoat, the surcoat, and it mm-hmm. had the sigil yeah, on it yeah. that we noticed a couple chapters ago in the dungeons and I think for Tristan, like, I bet they were pretty devout. I bet that is what House sunglasses for. That's actually hysterical, to stop you from seeing
1: the light, to, to lessen the light. That has to be it, Eliana. I, I, I didn't think about it till you were talking about sunglasses and the hut. I was like, oh, I think this is intentional. So, I mean, that might be why Tristan, you know, he might not have a lord right now to follow, but he's following not the Lord of Light. At least he's chosen to stick with his gods, and that's why he's part of this plan. I mean he has nothing to lose, that's for sure. That's true. He could just run across the sea. I mean his lord's there, right? Yeah. Maester Pylos is leading Edric through his sums when Davos and Sir Andrew arrive to usher him out, and Andrew chats adorably with Edric about his own experience in Sums. Turns out Edric prefers history, because he likes the tales, and <laughs> Pylos tells him to go get his cloak and go with Davos, and just, just to remind everyone here, Andrew is a, if I'm remembering, if I understand how cousins and families work properly, first cousin once removed from Edric, and he is in fact the first cousin of Stannis through Kasana, his mother.
0: You say that, but I do want to say that originally in one of the indexes, huh. I want to say it was Clash, he was an uncle, and then it changed to cousin. To Stannis? Mm-hmm. He was Stannis' uncle first in Clash, and then he became Stannis' cousin, I want to say, in the dance index.
1: Time-traveling Storm, fetus. But, yep, time-traveling fetus. Yep. Speaking of time-traveling, um, as we said, Edric likes the history most because it's full of tales, and I'm just saying that that's George R. R. Martin writing himself, like, for a split second into there. <laughs> he has his history minor, and he loves... He's He said that he likes the more dramatic, like, Dramatized versions of history better. That's how we got this story!
0: Oh, you mean George Mind is like a whetstone R.R. R. Martin? <laughs> Inserting uh, himself into his books? <laughs> I don't know. You mean Sam Tarly? I'm sorry. Tyrion
1: Manster? Uh, <laughs> his favorite characters?
0: Oh, books. I'm busy reading books and groping titties. Uh,
1: that is not his self-insert, but in a way, maybe.
0: Mm, I don't know, he met Paris naked in a sauna, okay? Mm. Edric asks where they're going, and he's like, I refuse to go pray to the Lord of Light. I'm a warrior's man like my father, with his hands on his hips, you know, like a very plucky young kid. Uh, And Davos is like, we know. (laughs) They're all, like, all of them echo, they're like, we know, Edric, we know you're like your dad. Uh, And they move him along. Pylos fastens a cloak on Edric, pulling his hood up to hide him. And this made me sad. It felt like a cloak of protection, right? Because Pylos has spent so much time with this boy. He's probably been this boy's, you know, constant teacher companion, his brand new dad that pays attention to him for the past year. And he's like,
1: he's now like got a maybe relationship like Crescent had with Stannis.
0: yes absolutely it does feel like that right like he's getting to know this young boy and it's hard for I mean that's the thing is Pylos obviously cares for Adric because he's helping spirit him away when the last maester did not really uh while trying to help Stannis survive
1: that's true you know he's got precedent to be like but what if I didn't
0: he's got precedent
1: oh amazing <clears throat> hired promoted <laughs> This
0: moment does remind me of another character that we've covered who covers themselves in a hood as they escape via sea, Sansa. This actually ah. reminds me of, instead of Edric and Pylos, Sansa and Dantos, uh, even with the name there, right? Even with the, the name, uh. the etymology, just the os yes. at the end. And the D. And, yes, the D. And there are good parallels here, right, especially this comes up after the Purple Wedding, it's an echo of what just happened. Danto says to her, outside the godswood we must make no sound, pull up your hood and hide your face. Sansa's being whisked across the sea to hide her claim, and her blood, by pretending to be a bastard, while Edric, who is a bastard, is hiding his blood and claim out in the sea as well. But he's being spirited away by people who want to protect him, and Sansa will eventually learn that she's not being spirited away by people with her best interests in mind. Davos and Peter kind of serve as contrasts in this chapter, right? Because Davos sees Edric's potential in being his own man, and Peter can't get past seeing Sansa as her mother, or as, you know, how he can covet Sansa's potential for himself. Stannis and Peter actually have a few parallels here. Uh, Opposite reasons of coveting magical king's bloodline, right? Blood king. Magical king's blood, uh, bloodlines from these kids for wrong reasons. Stannis doesn't want to speak of Edric as his nephew. He refuses to. And he wants to consume Edric's life essence for power and revenge. And Littlefinger... Reluctantly calls Sansa his daughter, while he really also wants to consume her life essence in a totally gross way for power and boners and revenge.
1: Yes, both of them are using these children to kind of fulfill their fantasies. But um, I love this. I love this comparison you draw between how Edric spirited away and, and Sansa's right. It's both by sea and boats, and it's in the same book. So mm-hmm. within. Literally chapters of one another, like two, uh, just very few chapters between each of them. So that's that's a fantastic connection. <laughs> you can't see it, but Chloe's preening. She's <laughs> she's patting <laughs> her eyelashes like, yes, thank you. Please clap. We're preening. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: Adric asks if Pylos will come with them, but Pylos's duty lies on Dragonstone. He asks Edric if he remembers what he taught him about the king's hand, and Edric repeats, the hand speaks with the king's voice, and Pylos smiles, sending him off. Davos reflects that, originally, he didn't know if he could trust Pylos, maybe because Pylos had taken Cressen's place, but now, Davos admires Pylos's courage. He could lose his life for this.
1: Yeah, and Pylos wasn't let in on these plans, but he, like, senses what's going on, and I, you know, we stand, Mace Pylos- And by we, I mean we. I don't know how Chloe feels. I am not her. Yeah, I'm just like, you know, I'm not your hand, right? I don't speak with your voice. I don't speak with the Queen's voice. (laughs) (laughs) Damn straight. (laughs) They make their descent to the water, to one of Solidor's ships, and Edric asks if Shireen is coming too, and when he learns she isn't, he's like, no, I have to go back and say goodbye, because otherwise Shireen's going to be sad, and it's so sweet so cute I'm like, no wonder people like Edric he's a little annoying sometimes but I'm like, no wonder, look at him, that's so nice he wants to say bye to his cousin and Davos thinks you know, it's not so sad as if she sees you burn so you should get going and tells him there's no time but he can write to her. You know, Shireen's not coming with them and you know what <sighs> the emphasis on Edric asking if Shireen is coming with them on the boat to sail away from Stannis to prevent him from being burned. Because of his king's blood, it really hits different when you know what's gonna happen. I'm like, fuck dude, they should've put Shireen yeah. on that boat with him. Like, even even Alistair plotting to marry Shireen off to Tommen, right? Like that could have changed her life. That would have been better. Like
0: Yeah, it's sad because in that aspect, Shireen is very much a princess in the tower, right? Yeah. Guarded by the dragon that's gonna eat her. Absolutely. It's and, uh it, it's a bummer. I, I didn't really think about it in that way, but yeah, it's pretty sad, but that's really how you see it at the end of, like that's an unforgivable offense. If he had taken Shireen, Davos would have been a dead man.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But like he I mean, for obvious reasons, he's like, Well, I guess Stannis is willing to hurt this child of his blood, but not that I mean like, right? No one thinks that yeah, this person's totally gonna kill their own yeah. kid. And I mean Yeah. Edric, Edric wanted to bring Shreen with them and it would have been better for them. Anyway, Edric questions why he's leaving at all. And he's like, have I displeased my uncle? And he's like, I never meant to.
0: <laughs>
1: he demands to see his uncle. He gets stubborn and the men begin to exchange looks like, shit. What are we going to do? What are we going to tell the kid? <laughs>
0: what wimps, man. They're like sitting here like, oh, we can't speak back to Edric
1: how are we gonna lie to the child yeah
0: oh we've lied this far but now we can't lie more and also like where is he gonna send his letters to if he writes shireen anyways one two uh, three
1: Dragonstone (laughs) lane zip code six
0: ashes (laughs) on the ground oh shit um (laughs) invisible ink use a lighter to see it no just kidding Sir Andrew says that there's no time for Edric to go and talk to his uncle and Davos finally butts in and he uses his own strong voice to him and says, He does not want to see you. I am his hand. I speak with his voice. Must I go to the king and tell him that you would not do as you were told? Do you know how angry that will make him? Have you ever seen your uncle angry? He pulled off his glove and showed the boy the four fingers Stannis shortened. I have. It was all lies. There had been no anger in Stannis Baratheon when he cut the ends off his Onion Knight's fingers, only an iron sense of justice. But Edric Storm had not been born then and could not know that.
1: Interestingly, we do actually see Stannis angry this chapter, now that I think about it. So that's an interesting one. But what's going on here when, when Davos is telling Edric... About Stannis' anger, rated, right? It kind of reminds me of Arya being mean to Nymeria for her own safety, you know, when, when she was being hunted. Or even Ned, you know, fainting and putting on his lord's voice in front of others to protect Jon. And coming back to Tyrion again, as a hand, and setting our expectations for Davos's chapters, also as a hand... Tyrion's chapter shows us the responsibility, as well as, of course, the power that a hand has, the politics surrounding it, including lying and scheming and threatening. And Davos here is also now doing some lying and scheming and threatening. But it's for a good reason. He's saving this boy's life. Though I guess you could argue that Tyrion, in trying to restrain Joffrey's worst impulses, was also trying to save Joffrey's life. Uh, Different way, though. And Davos is also trying to prevent Stannis' worst impulses... And of course, another hand, Ned had to do this for Robert, who was like, You know what? Let's kill some kids. Uh yeah. It uh it
0: does feel that way. Definitely for Clash for Tyrion. That that's a battle and a half in a Clash of Kings for Tyrion and Davos is absolutely running back and forth trying to prevent things happening. He is uh playing firefighter, so to speak
1: yeah and now that i think about it danny and edric da- edric's about the age that danny was when robert was like what if we killed her though
0: oh that's true yeah it's like a thing amongst baratheons i hope no one sends knives after him and lease oh especially since he has a claim possibly to the yeah, throne and right. Aegon's trying to take the throne i didn't even you know think what about I mean? that i don't know I didn't really either. I I just assumed that he was going to end up pulled, uh, Because I believe the Eastermonts were supporters of Blackfire's pot. No, maybe I'm making that up. Uh, But I I just, I feel like, what if he's like the Storm Lord that Aegon wants, you know? Yeah. He's in least country. Come on now. It's Dragon, dragon Dragonland.
1: I believe there are theories. I want to say Jeff came up with this, but I don't know, or is one of them who subscribes to this, that... Varies, you know. Being from Lys has yes. Edric, right? And I think we've discussed yes. this during our Lys episodes in on, on Patreon. So
0: I think we discussed it also a while back uh, because of Tyrek as well.
1: Oh yes, get Tyrek to Lannister.
0: Mm-hmm. That he has Tyrek possibly as well as mm-hmm, far as having mm-hmm. his own Lannister, which is funny because that means he didn't really trust Tyrion as his Lannister.
1: Uh. I mean, understandably, Varys <laughs> wants to have control over things. He's a he's a project manager.
0: He wants to succeed is really what's happening. He
1: really does, and he's doing okay for now. <laughs> so Edric
0: yields enough, finally, they talk him down, and the bastard of Night Song, Rollin Storm, joins them at the cellar. They move quickly to the gates with Lewis, the fishwife and Omer Blackberry waiting for them. Guards are on the ground at their feet, they've been subdued, and they point to the boat, which is named Mad Prendos for the pirate who once captained it apparently was not so sane. And Davos laughs because he's like, ah, Salador, he has a streak of black humor in him. He has pirate's black humor in him. Hysterical. Very Salvador funny. is hysterical. This kind of funny. And, uh, you know, George doesn't always refuse to black humor or gallows humor often. In A Song of Ice and Fire, that morbid, dark comedy, we get it from a few characters, right? Like Braun is spoken of as having black humor by Circe, and we see it in text for sure. Oswell went, uh, Jamie actually says that he had had black humor, and oddly enough, Barriston calls the camps that have flux that they're giving off black humors. So hmm. very different black humor.
1: There's the four humors, like the Greeks thought there were yeah. like only four different things. They're like blood,
0: the yellow things? bile, black bile, and phlegm. So, yes, he discusses the black humors, humorism, the humoral Mm. theory. But, you know, something else here, bringing up that context of madness, uh, Targaryen madness, you know, that that's that's the word. That's a silly term, in my opinion. Uh, But the the books actually define. So these are the characters that are called mad that are Targaryens and rulers in the books. Right. Magor I. Lots of reasons there, right? Didn't really treat his wife and family appropriately, okay? A little murderous. Hey, he had headaches, though, so we're going to excuse it. Shut down the Faith Uprising pretty brutally, right? Not a great moment in his history, and then, you know, death by throne. Death by throne. So as far as reigns go, all right, I see. I see the, the subjective use of the word mad, George, okay? Baylor One's madness seemed to be born of his pious nature, which is like the exact opposite of Megor's issue. Baylor refused to touch his sisters to create more perfect incest babies, and he's known for the most pious and peaceful reign right by everybody in the world. Uh, everyone commended his holiness and virtue if they were religious, although behind doors we know there was a little something crazy happening. And he's also cited as a driving force of the Dornish Alliance, but I don't know. I think there was some other help there. We'll talk about that another day. But he dies on day 41 of his fast. uh, And some wonder if his uncle Viserys poisoned him. But I imagine he probably looked like a skeleton. Much like we hear Stannis described as looking like, right?
1: Mm, These
0: days and moving forward. We have Arian Brightflame, Makar's son, right? Cruel, arrogant, threatened cats and kids alike, and ended up in lease and exile for a bit. Served the second sons before coming out of exile. He had a son named Magor, good name, and he dies the same year that Magor's born. He drinks wildfire, hoping that it would transform him into a dragon. His son is passed over on secession because they're afraid that he might have the madness. Ares, too, Viserys, we know kind of how those ones go. Uh, Ares, Viserys, Arian, and Magor, these deaths are quite obviously. Driven by power, pride, and paranoia, right? Even even Baylor could add into that in a way. Stannis has done enough stupid things <laughs> that, like, when you look at his reign, if you just take his reign, paint a picture of it, and put it, you know, in a frame and look at it for a minute, it just fits. Starved himself out for a brother that obviously he couldn't live up to. Just kidding, haha. Uh, held out during the siege in his brother's ward to take the throne because the prince, Stannis of Dragonstone, uh, that's what he became after that. So Stannis is a prince of Dragonstone, technically. Seduced uh-huh. to a fiery religion, raised his armies to take back the throne from his brother's children, and then upon loss, flees north tries to conquer the land, lets wildlings through the walls to join his armies, descends on the north with an army of southerners and wildlings to take their vacuous dead land. And then those that are left over, he tries to convert them to Relore and installs himself in much of his camp at the local Night's Watch penal colony to deplete their stores. Top all that off and how his ending will, you know, probably go up in flames as we know. Um... You know, the whole killing your daughter off and ritual sacrifice as you die against the Long night. I think people might look back and go, huh, maybe Stannis had a little bit of Targaryen madness himself, you know? Like, why did Arian drink the wildfire if not to try to birth dragons from his flesh? Did Baylor hear whispers of dragons? Hear whispers of Azor Ahai being born from his line? Is that why he refused to consummate? Just think of last chapter. Dragon wings over Westeros. There would be such a... The lust in his voice. It's Mm -hmm. an interesting thought. He's not
1: so different from these men. Not at all. And it's something we've seen a lot of other characters in the story as well. There's a part of me that... I think this is something we're going to discuss much more in depth in in later chapter reads uh, and various ones of them. But... I'm personally uh, I and I think that you and I have discussed this before amongst ourselves but I don't believe that Targaryen madness is a thing that's yeah inherent to their family so much as it's a madness and and we're seeing it here with Stannis, and it's tied more to what happens when you're put in a position of unchecked power and entitlement and we see you know what what that does to people I mean It has less to do with, like, you know, you're born with it so much as how circumstances lead to you using that power and things like that. Because, again, we see it in a lot of characters throughout the story who aren't Targaryens. Some of them were, some of them arguably, like, doing that. And I think there's also another question, different idea of madness, right, that the story brings up of madness, of course, being the same coin as greatness and how it manifests in Daenerys' story and i th- part of it has also has to do with like legends right how do people craft a narrative around you and position it as madness or not but again a different conversation but one of the first questions where this comes up is in Daenerys 10 a game of thrones before she even like really knows much about the history of her family as she's about to birth the dragons she asks is it so far from madness to wisdom many of john's best acts in in this book and the next book where he's trying to secure the safety of the free folk the men of the night's watch call him mad he himself wonders like and calls what he's doing madness these are like objectively good things that he's doing and some of the acts that regard did right when you scrutinize it and its intent and its impact some people might wonder whether it is madness or greatness it, it's We don't have, like, the rest of the story yet to really, I think, have the full discussion on it. But I think people are having that discussion. And so I think that the name of the boat, Mad Prendos, speaks to that question. How far is the difference between the two?
0: Yeah. And I I thought it was an interesting, really quick blip. We never hear about this ship again. We never come Mm -hmm. back to the name. We never hear about the pirate again at all. We just, this is it. Fleeting. But... It just feels like, I mean, especially the rulers that I mentioned and then comparing it to Stannis, that each one of these people had someone whispering at their ear, Mm -hmm. whispering about their power and greatness. Uh, Maker had many, you know, and Arian was brought up to think that sunshine and wildfire came out of his fucking asshole. Uh, Rhaegal Targaryen, one I didn't really touch on that much, but I mean, he was said to be mad, but he actually was different than what... These kings sounded like, right? He was seen sometimes dancing naked in the Red Keep from afar, uh-huh. and, uh, good for him. And yeah, I agree. I am like, good he for got him. ill. He actually, it's very Joffrey. He gets ill and he chokes on a lamprey pie and dies. Um, oh. Yeah, so I don't know. It's interesting that the ones that definitely come up as the more violent and harsh kings in history or the ones with a, a bloodier past in Targaryen history also generally have the thematic source going on of like problems with local religion problems with dark witches whispering
1: in their ears problems with prophecy problems with intensely violent misogyny too when you think about it i think that there's a tie there too and how that manifests in the violence and again comes back to power power structures and entitlement Yes. And, I mean like Baylor, they call it like religious fervor and madness but how it manifests is denying the rights of his sisters mm-hmm. is one of the most extreme ways it does so
0: absolutely I mean imagine if he had just consummated and had Damon with Diana imagine yeah. uh, that would have saved his whole
1: brain but instead the boy died believed himself special like Stannis is being told he is
0: Ah, everybody's special, Eliana. Oh my god, different show. Different show. (laughs) Davos kneels to Edric and tells him, I must leave you, Edric. You are Robert's son, but you must be brave no matter what happens. Think of this as an adventure, my lord, Davos tried to sound hale and cheerful. It's the start of your life's great adventure. May the warrior defend you.
1: And may the father judge you justly, Lord Davos.
0: The boy went with his cousin, Sir Andrew, out the postern gate. The others followed, all but the bastard of Night Song. May the father judge me justly, Davos thought ruefully, but it was the king's judgment that concerned him now.
1: Pum pum pum. <laughs> Edric, getting on a boat, being told, think of this as an adventure. Reminds me of that uh, iconic first line of Quentin's first chapter of Adventure Stink. Adventure being the boat. so it's like quentin but arguably actually successful in that as far as we know edric has not died yet hopefully never hopefully oh man you know he was like shireen's gonna be real sad when i'm gone you know he's gonna be real sad when shireen's gone edric
0: ma'am ma'am you are (laughs) under arrest pull over do not pass go do not pass Go, do not take $200. I meant to say that instead of the first one. What
1: am I being charged with? Uh, I don't know, but you're fired. I've been charged for, what is it, emotional damages a couple of times from my tweets recently.
0: I'll charge you with that one. Maybe third degree.
1: All right. Well, Davos commands Sir Roland to drag the guards in a cellar until Edric is... All good in a way then he fixes himself up puts his gloves back on and makes himself presentable to meet the king he climbs the steps he arrives to the stone drum where the guards let the king's hand through he thinks on his time as the king's hand and then about his time as a smuggler we have this line of the blind bastard used to tell him that a clever smuggler did not overreach nor draw too much attention to himself a few acres a timbered roof a sir before my name I should have been content. If he survived this night, he would take Devon and sail home to Cape Wrath and his gentle Maria. We will grieve together for our dead sons, raise the living ones to be good men, and speak no more of kings. Reader, this is not in fact what Davos does. Go the fuck home to your
0: wife. Go home. You keep saying you're gonna. You've done it like three chapters in a row. You're like, if I live through this, I'm gonna take my son and go. And you keep not doing it.
1: Money ha- where your mouth is. Annie. up. I'm like, what, what does Davos want? You know, he's telling himself that this is what he wants. But I'm like, but that's not what he does.
0: Yeah. Well,
1: every well. single time... There's
0: like the Pavlovian response because Stannis is like, "Here, boy," and then he's like, "Good job, you did really good today." And here's one gold star sticker, and now we're gonna go do this, and then that's the last thing we have to do. And then they get there, and Stannis is like, "It turns out we have to do one more thing, Davos." And then they go to the next place, and it's like, and then it turns out there's one more.
1: So there's always one more thing, and I mean, like maybe that I think that's the point, right? That's, that's the why, point. and it's all leading up to to that one thing that that horrible point where Stannis can no longer say, but well, one more thing, and Davos will be like, no, <laughs> no more. I mean,
0: that's the thing, is people don't want to change until they hit rock bottom. And Davos hit rock bottom, and he still hasn't changed. Literally, yeah. he hit rock bottom on the Blackwater, and he still hasn't changed.
1: And it's um, fascinating that that's the start of his story, right, in A Storm of Swords, mm-hmm. and this is the last chapter of A Storm of Swords, and we see we see a progression, right? Like, we see him changing... But he's not, and and again, that's the point. He's not all day yeah. He's still like not going home yet. I think,
0: and we'll definitely talk way more about this as we get into a dance with dragons, as we forge our way into a doublet. But I think that the time for that may come in the winds of winter, and unfortunately, it might be too late for him to be able to be like, "Fuck you, I quit," because Stannis might be like, "Fuck you, I'm dead." <laughs> yeah. Actually, though, well, well, there's something interesting here in Davos's betrayal of Melisandre and Stannis, right? He's reflecting on his time, and chapter before this, Jamie enters the city to a change of hands, so to speak, much like Davos at the beginning of this book, entering Dragonstone. He's told Tyrion murdered Joffrey, and now is the Master of Coin, but then he got arrested, so no longer that. And uh, Jamie gets hand jobs thrown at him in many ways, though he refuses. And it, it's kind of like how Davos shows up, and the Hand's in jail, he's in jail, and suddenly he's the Hand, and he's out of jail. When Davos came into Dragonstone, shit was Fubar. Shit was so yeah. fucked up, it was just bad. And yeah. now he's looking around and he's comfortable, he knows the lay of the land, Men are giving him a tiny bit of respect like these guards right before he leaves once more to resume his life of smuggling.
1: Mm. Interesting. And and the reflection, right? You're talking about it, how he's reflecting on his time and the way that it manifests is interesting. Because again, last time Davos did some smuggling, it was pitch dark below yeah. the earth, right? You couldn't see at the sky or anything, and Melisandre was the only light as she was like releasing this shadow baby. Mm. And now Davos is like thinking about like all these different fires and he's looking up at the dark night sky. He's like somewhere out there beneath the pale moonlight and an American tale. And there are many other lights up there in the sky, not just one that's drowning out the rest. And it really feels hopeful until like two seconds later when he's like, Hmm, it's dark again. And then we go into another interesting piece of imagery talking about the shadows as earlier. Now, the light cast davos's shadow interestingly across the painted table so that's another one of those things where it feels like the idea of power right and that political force and shadow coming through like that way and if Tyrion's shadow like as the hand you know it was like large and he's talked about as being like a giant or a king davos is here is described as tall and thin and, like a sword and i'm kind of curious like what this means like this is symbolic somehow right and i think there's one interpretation of it as justice right we see swords uh usually tied uh with justice in terms of the series symbolism maybe execution maybe describing davos as like a tool or sort of power or maybe there's this idea of like davos as being stannis's true Lightbringer, not of prophecy though, but like shining the light on the right way. Uh, And I don't know, I don't know if you have any thoughts about this, what it could mean or if maybe our listeners have any thoughts Yeah, I think that's
0: a really great way to view Davos because he does, he brings light right everywhere he goes he actually is the real light in the room, not just the sword Mm. which will be taken out soon for him to read by There's a song by Covenant called Lightbringer that I very much like I uh, actually very much recommend it. It's kind of an EDM gothish uh, kind of song, but it's a good hmm. one. I'm gonna, I'm gonna send you a link, maybe you know, Lightbringer.
1: All right, we'll put it right. in the description. Okay. okay, it's a song of ice and fire, but mostly fire. Maybe I don't. I don't know anything about it.
0: A song of light and darkness. Oh wow. Davos continues his ascent to the chamber of the Painted Table, where he awaits Mel and Stannis. They arrive shortly after, arguing about whether three is three as they enter. Stannis is in doubt, but Davos steps forward from the shadows to confirm. Melisandre saw it true in the flames. Joffrey's dead, choked on food at his wedding feast. Your nephew was poisoned, maybe. Stannis says he is not my nephew, though... I believed he was for years. I love this because, of course, the true nephew, his actual nephew, just got sent away to least to be saved from death, but his fake nephew just Mm. died.
1: Yeah, and he's like, he means nothing to me. Where's my nephew so I can burn him?
0: (laughs) This is how you treat your real nephews, damn. Yeah. I hate how you treat your fake nephews. He walks along the table, the painted table, and he walks past Old Town, past the arbor, and toward the Shield Islands. I really love this visually because this is actually where some of the craziest stuff is going to be happening in The Winds of Winter, right? In Old Town, the arbor, the Shield Islands. We know uh-huh. Euron's going to be descending and bringing his own long night down on the people here. But these lands are significant for Stannis because these are the lands that have kind of vexed him the mm. most right like these are the lands that by marriage right they should have supported him but they didn't and they loved his brother more instead they loved renly so kind of significant that george points out stannis is walking past
1: the shield islands and the arbor and old town that is interesting and and you're talking about you know joffrey as like his false nephew right mm-hmm. and the these same lands supported the faux Baratheon as well. Yep. So, yeah, that is interesting. Well, Davos stresses that Joffrey's real uncle, the Imp, was the Poisoner, and that he learned about this information from Solidor San, who, again, great taste in olives, and I want to thank um, listener Michael Archidiacono for sending us um we forgot to we forgot to call out michael a few episodes ago but i want to i want to thank michael for giving us um olive location recommendations
0: yes absolutely and eliana and i are already planning an olive date mostly because all of her
1: oh all of
0: you (laughs) too oh Oh, we're having fun (laughs)
1: <laughs> this is it. This is we test. we have a podcast together.
0: Ooh, I love you so much. <laughs> We're gonna do this for four years.
1: <laughs> well, no, that was the original plan. Who knows? Who knows? It's anymore. still four years. <laughs> four more years. Every time, four more years. Four
0: more. Four. four more years. I saw my
1: shadow. Oh my god. Oh. Stannis saw
0: his shadow. Four more years.
1: Oh my god. Stannis regales them then with the tale of Joffrey, cutting open a pregnant cat, showing the kittens to his father and that Robert had hit him so hard he thought Joffrey died.
0: Ah, like Arian with the
1: cat. I don't remember what Arian did with the cat.
0: Oh, he also murdered kittens and cats. Pretty awful.
1: Yeah, Arian was pretty awful, so was Joffrey. Um, they should hang out.
0: In the afterlife.
1: <sighs> oh, they might. In the seven hells that Robert's always talking about.
0: They're probably on parlor. Oh my
1: god. <laughs> well, maybe not anymore. <laughs> um, well, this memory, courtesy of Stannis, um, actually serves a couple of reasons. It functions a different couple different ways in this story. First off, again, Stannis reliving his ghosts of Robert. And then next, you know, talking about Joffrey and Arian, we of course all know that Joffrey was abusive. And, and violent, right? We all saw it. We all read these books. It was right there. And I think on one hand, this, sh- this scene is meant to show us that he might have just been a psychopath based on his cruelty toward animals, which I think, you know, people refer to the scene as an indicator of that. Um, and, and George is channeling that idea here. But I think it also illustrates how Joffrey's abusiveness was to some respects, very much a learned behavior from his father. He endured it himself. He tells Sansa, "Um, my mother says that a king should never hit his wife. And his mother, in saying that, is referring to the fact that Robert hits her, right? And this is what Joffrey is raised to think that love is like. This is normal to him. And it also circles back to Edric Storm, who is Robert's biological son, And, and, you know, arguably might have been fortunate to grow up out of Robert's reach when you compare it to Joffrey's own upbringing. Edric likes the stories because he loves the tales, the stories, the legends. It's what Sansa loves about the songs, and and I think those are kind of similar in that way. And Davo's channels Robert's memory, Robert's legend, uh, to give Edric courage to sail away. And so it's really jarring to see the idea that Edric has, this ideal he has of Robert, juxtaposed with this very real-lived memory that Stannis has of Robert's violence, not his bravery, to a child that's placed in his own care. And Stannis is thinking to himself, maybe, I I wonder if he's thinking that he's not like Robert in that respect. We don't have his point of view chapters, so I do kind of wonder. But as he thinks about Robert's pretended son and his treatment of him, he's getting ready right now to steal himself. Uh, To sacrifice Robert's son by blood, and then, you know, he later on commits an even worse crime, right? Against his own child, worse than what Robert did to Joffrey. Yeah, and you can see why Stannis sees Edric's life as lesser than
0: anyone's else with all that logic, right? Mm. I mean, he's composed of Robert's blood, the man that he just explained he saw act this way, and that people still adored Robert over Stannis, even when they knew the true monster he was. Robert gets to wear the Smith's t-shirt that's too small for him, but when Stannis does it, it's not cute, you know what I mean? No, I'm just kidding. But it it is what he sees. He sees Edric as like, oh, your father was actually a piece of shit. You're probably a piece of shit.
1: And that Stannis has kept this memory. I mean, it's a it's a jarring memory, regardless, right? He thought Mm -hmm. that his nephew was dead by his brother's hand, and at this time he does believe that Joffrey is his nephew. And as you said, they adore they adore Robert for this, despite. And, you know, Stannis comes back often, right? We've discussed this, to how Robert did not love him. And so I think that, like, in Stannis keeping this memory and and also bringing it up, it's an example of now how he sees Robert as, in general, unloving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Right? Like, this is who Robert is to his family and to the people who look up to him.
0: Yeah, that memory has just worsened over time of him, especially yeah. as the plate and as the the crown, you know, the cup that he's been handed has just grown and grown in size and become harder and heavier to bear, especially. I think it worsens.
1: Yeah. And that he I mean, like, I'm not saying that this is equivalent in any way, but I wonder if Sienna thinks then well of he's like, you know, I had a difficult go with of it with his own like airs. And the difficulties that Shireen faced with her her illness, and he's like, damn, I'm glad I'm not like that. And maybe he tries to be different from Robert because of that, seeing the way that Robert was as a parent. (sighs)
0: Well, Stannis takes off the crown, finally. No, I'm just kidding, it's not for good. And he sighs. He says, whether it was dwarf or leech, the kingdom has been served well. They must send for me to rule now. And Melisandre's like, bad news, they're not going to send for you. Joffrey has a brother named Tommen. Stannis grudgingly realizes, oh, they're going to rule through him. Born of the same incest, a monster in the making, a leech on the land.
1: Damn, he legit remembered, like the shit that his like other pretended nephew went through and like legit forgot that he had another nephew. He <laughs> forgot he's forgetting he has a niece too. It's like notice he rat. doesn't bring up Marcella. It's like if Damon dies, like obviously people are gonna look to Marcella before they go to you, Stannis.
0: <sighs> That's pretty bad when people want Marcella before him, which we'll probably see that in the Winds of Winner too.
1: Yeah, but at least then he has like different problems. He's got different problems to distract him. <laughs>
0: He's got 99
1: problems. He really does, though. At least. And that little bitch Axel Florent is one of them. Amen.
0: Hallelujah, sister.
1: (sighs) Melisandre tells him to then save them. Let her wake the stone dragons, and give her the boy. And Tophus is like, Edric Storm! <laughs> his name is Edric Storm, and Stannis snaps at him to spare him his reproaches, and that his duty is to the realm. And he asks Melisandre to swear on her life that there is no other way, and then she launches into a speech about how he is the chosen one, the prophesied one, the red comet heralded him. I used to know the speech, but I forgot it. This is one of the ones I performed. And if Stannis fails, and the world fails with him, again... Big Pokemon 2000, the movie vibes. In terms of the prophecy with Ash. And Melisandre,
0: Melisandre went to him. Her red lips parted, her ruby throbbing. Give me this boy, she whispered, and I will give you your kingdom. Okay, so you know how she launches into that whole speech where she's like, and the, you're the chosen one in the prophecy. She doesn't like say- Ketchum. Exactly. She doesn't say that it, there's no other way. <laughs> she answers it with That's this true, big you're speech. Right. And like she's like, oh, just listen, Stannis, you're the chosen one. You're the one. You're the only one. The comet was across the sky for you. She doesn't say the words, my king, there's mm-hmm. no other way. You have to let me. She doesn't say that. She That's just says, let me. I didn't really think about it till now, but I'm like, oh. Yeah. Huh.
1: She doesn't really say, correct, it's the only way.
0: Hmm. And also and-
1: that she, like, to what we were talking about last episode, she's like, give me the boy and I will give you your kingdom. But all the shit she's saying in the prophecy has nothing to do with the kingdom.
0: Yeah. And he, also nothing to do with the boy. Like, he doesn't care about Edric. Like, it's not a
1: sacrifice. Yeah. Agreed. <sighs>
0: More than that, though, this is a seduction, if you couldn't tell, Mm -hmm. listeners, how I seduced you with my Melisandre voice. She really did. Um, Yeah, did you feel that? Mm -hmm. You feel that, all of you, now? (laughs) My
1: my ruby is throbbing. Oh my god, my ruby's throbbing, too. (laughs) What are we talking about? Hard
0: nipples. A lot of how Melisandre is portrayed through Davos' plot kind of reminds me of Babylon in the Bible. Not just Melisandre, but also Stannis' miniature kingdom, right? This, I'll give you your kingdom business, she's saying. In the Old Testament, the city of Babylon birthed an empire that ruled the world, right? It placed its worldview on those that it conquered. Those that Babylon, which Babylon became referred to as a she, right? The empire was so large, so vast, they called it she. Those she did not destroy, she subverted She was brutal, callous, proud, and believed she'd reign over earth forever. Her way of rule was looked at culturally as very different, very frowned upon. She thought herself a god, and in her actions, god struck her down. He smote her. The empire falls super suddenly, very unpleasantly. The Babylonians begin to starve. They have to strangle and kill their own children and women, as people just keep going hungry to stop people from starving and make sure they had enough food. They don't appear in the Bible again for about, oh, 630 years until the New Testament. They show up and they start to signify. When Babylon is spoken about, it signifies a world at war with God. Peter actually uses Babylon several times as a code to talk about this culture war with the church and covenant community. Babylon's not heard from again until, of course, the Revelations, and we see her as an agent of the beast. And there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will shew unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet colored beast full of names of blasphemy having seven heads and ten horns and the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet colors decked with gold precious stones pearls having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication and upon her forehead was a name written mystery babylon the great the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. That's from Revelation 17, 1 through 9. And Melisandre is kind of portrayed as the lady in Red, the whore of Babylon, the harlot that swayed Stannis. When it's clear from most of this, he's not exactly swayed by her necessarily, but by her promises, right? Of power, Mm -hmm. promise of a new age, a new regime, where he's able to wield this power against those that have hurt him. I don't think Stannis 100% is a 1-1 one, one fit to the beast or anything, unless you th- think about how the first beast rose from the sea and was given authority by the dragon. So in my head, that's kind of like Robert. And the second beast is a false prophet who tells everyone mm. to worship the first beast back when the first beast is still alive, right? So, like, Stannis did hold out during Robert's rebellion. Ra, rah, go Robert. I'm just saying, you did support him at one time, Stannis, and Stannis is kind of going to be a false prophet in the end, eh?
1: Yeah, I mean, he is, right? That's how he's being set up to be and because i mean melisandre's feeding all of this to him and because okay. stannis desperately wants something to believe in he wants something to have faith in he wants to believe in himself cuz he feels like no one has ever done that for mm-hmm. him before and so he he's willing to set himself up as he thinks he's he thinks he's jesus christ yeah and as you he said does. he's he's the beast you know and that's part it, it's interesting the idea that the false prophet themselves don't know that they are false yeah.
0: Not yet. Not till they fall.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, Stannis- There's saw no lake the of fire,
0: right? It's lake of ice for Stannis, but-
1: That is true. He makes his own fire, and I mean, he, he is a prophet, right? In some ways, he saw it in the flames, the crown of fire engulfing him, but has taken, I guess, a false reading of it. I mean, he's taken the right reading from it, he's just chosen to be like, Well, gotta keep going forward <laughs> on this path. <laughs> Can't stop. Not a single thing I can do to change it. Can't stop. Won't stop. That's Stannis right uh, uh. now. (laughs) Uh, And yeah, I mean, it's interesting also to think of him as this beast and bringing this sort of apocalyptic idea because that is kind of how he was perceived, right? Initially by the people of King's Landing. And people don't quite fear him as much anymore after that. Well, national embarrassment. It kind of was. And you know what? There's even more bad news coming, because turns out this beast isn't going to be able to burn Edric, as Davos tells them, because Edric's been sprung on a Lysini galley, safe to see. And Davos is watching Melisandre's face during this, and he's like, oh my god, we did it. We tricked her, because her face looks uncertain. He's like, she didn't see it. Yeah, that's so
0: interesting that in order to Mm. have your destiny not be seen in the flames, you have to keep it quiet and think about anything but it when in the presence of her and just like keep her. That's so interesting. And we have to see that again. George can't just leave me like this. I want to see that used again.
1: I think it does. I think that, you know, I hadn't thought about that. And you brought it up earlier this this episode and it has to come back. It's such an interesting (laughs) mechanic.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's already happening to her. She just doesn't know it yet. <sighs> Stannis is furious about all of this. He, he's mad. He blames it immediately on that Lysine pirate. But Melisandre's like, no, this was your hand's work.
1: His handiwork. <laughs> so I think that language Stannis uses here to refer to Edric is interesting. There was a lot of focus, of course, last chapter on how they keep calling Edric the boy, right? It's very dehumanizing, makes it easier to see him as an object. And it's done to lead up to this moment where he's like, alright, you guys, there's no other way, we gotta burn Edric. And then suddenly when he can't burn Edric, Edric's out of his reach, Stannis snaps, he stops calling Edric the boy, but he doesn't call him Edric, he calls him the bastard. Quite angrily, you know, as we see, he's furious, so I think that that's quite mean. (laughs) It's very mean, and it's absolutely being used to devalue him, right? Especially now
0: that he can't have him. Now he's just trying to completely devalue him. And he immediately demands that Davos bring him back. He's like, bring him back. But Davos says, the boy is out of reach of all of them. And Melisandre's like, do you know what you've done? Davos says, my duty.
1: Throws it back in their face. Got him. Got Got him, Davos. Got him.
0: Stannis thinks, some may call it treason. He goes to stare out of his window into the night, and he turns around exhausted to tell Davos that he raised him up from dirt, and all he hoped for was loyalty. Davos rebuts that he has loyalty. Four of my sons died for you, and I almost died myself, but here I am, Stannis. Stannis made Davos swear to give him honest counsel, swift obedience, and to defend his realm and people. Davos counters, is Edric Storm not one of them? He concludes that I kept my oath. How could that be treason?
1: I never asked for this crown. Gold is cold and heavy on the head. But so long as I am the king, I have a duty. If I must sacrifice one child to the flames to save a million from the dark. Sacrifice is never easy, Davos for it is no true sacrifice tell him my lady
0: melisandra said azura high tempered light-bringer with the heart's blood of his own beloved wife if a man with a thousand cows gives one to god that is nothing but a man who offers the only cow he owns she
1: talks of cows i am speaking of a boy your daughter's friend your brother's son
0: a king's son, with the power of king's blood in his veins. Melisandra's ruby glowed like a red star at her throat. Do you think you've saved this boy, Onion Knight? When the long night falls, Edric Storm shall die with the rest, wherever he is hidden. Your own sons as well. Darkness and cold will cover the earth. You meddle in matters you do not understand. i got a couple thoughts about this. First thing is that Stannis talks about his crown and says that gold is cold and heavy on the head. Which reminds me of a few things. First thing it reminds me of is hands of gold are always cold.
1: Mm, yes. Right? Bringing that That's connection in. That's book.
0: Yep. Yep. And the second thing it reminds me of is a crown of gold a la Viserys.
1: Hmm. Yes. Mm. That one was actually very hot. Yeah, not not cold, in <laughs> fact. But
0: you're sharp, Eliana, you know that? <laughs> my blades are sharp. Oh my god, okay, settle down, stop bolting around. You know, she's all like, you have sons, blah blah blah, you're, you know, do you think you're safe with all of this? You understand, and he doesn't really have that many sons left. Because of supporting this cause, like, really insensitive that Melisandre's like, you understand. How it is with your own sons. They're going to be screwed if you don't listen to what I say for the long night. And he's like, they were already screwed.
1: Yeah, absolutely. He, he was meddling in matters. He did think he understood. Maybe he didn't. And like you said, lost them. So he sure understands now. Yeah. I mean, like, what's three more, I guess? <laughs> I mean, that's not what he's saying, but. But that's what they want him to say. Pretty much. And for him to be like, I mean, I mean, if they were his sons, he wouldn't want that happening to them. And that's part of why Davos is like, I don't want this happening. I mean, Devin's a similar age, right, of Edric. And he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) And, you know, the line in here, right? Sacrifice is never easy. Santa says that. And I'm like, seems like it's not. Because I, I would say that there is a sacrifice happening here. Losing Edric is, in fact, the real sacrifice. Not giving him to the flames. Because, turns out, that is very, very difficult for Stannis to take, right? He's taking it very hard. (laughs) And... Yeah, he is. Yeah. Not taking this well. That's, like, an understatement. He's, like, he's angry, right? Like, this is one of the few times you see that Baratheon anger come out in Stannis, and he's, like, getting ready to execute Davos right then and there, but... And Davos, you know, coming back to his sons, he knows about loss and sacrifice because he sacrificed for them already. He's like, don't fucking talk to me about sacrifice. But he doesn't say that. He doesn't even say that in his head, but he should have. Anyways. (laughs) He does get some more clapbacks,
0: though. It's not over. Uh, Yeah. He gets a couple more, but this is pretty good. My favorite ones come in here because he says, there's much I don't understand, but I do know a king protects his people or he's no king at all. And Stannis is like, excuse me?
1: Excuse me? Oh, yeah, that gets him real mad. And I just realized that that, I wonder if that's a play that construction, right? That a king protects his people or he's no king at all. It it, it reminds me, though, is in a very different idea of a king doesn't, like, have to say he's a king or else he is no true king at all, right? A king should Mm -hmm. not have to remind people he's a king. And so two different ideas of what power is and what one should do with power. We actually hear the line again in
0: Circe 6, in A Feast for Crows, uh, a hulking lout with a seven-pointed star on his brow is preaching, and he says, a king who does not protect his people is no king at all, out in the crowd of people among the faith.
1: Interesting. Mm -hmm. And I mean, like, arguably these are people who don't get called king. That's the reason why they're so bitter. Yeah, so the yeah. idea that kingship should be more about protection than being called king. Again, different ideas, different philosophies on ruler. Stannis is completely taken back
0: by all of this, and Davos immediately kneels, and he says, I'll die as I lived, loyal to you, but for the sake of my fingers and onions you must hear me. Stannis slides Lightbringer out, and Davos pulls parchment from his pocket, explaining Maester Pylos has been teaching him to read. He smooths out the letter, and by the light of the sword, Davos reads
1: it to Stannis. So, we all know what's in the letter because we did that last chapter. Uh, Regarding it, though, the book says, It seemed a thin and flimsy thing, yet it was all the shield he had. And it reminds me, of course, of Ned, that other hand, who also had a paper shield, but this one did not protect him from Cersei. The language of the paper shield draws that connection, but, you know, it does work for Davos here, right? But there are some similarities in that Ned was also lying to his own Baratheon king, you know, doing a mistruth and writing his will, which would actually have made Stan king, of course, as we all know. And he's also dealing with another... Baratheon bastard, who, as we all know, is a Lannister bastard. We covered that earlier this episode. And he's trying to protect those kids, even though one of them's a pretty heinous kid. He's trying to do something a little similar to what Davos tried to do. Right. And thankfully for Davos, this paper shield does work with Stannis. And I do think that that's a testament, of course, to Stannis's character that he's like, wait, but maybe you're right maybe it doesn't matter at this moment in my life that no one calls me king but it will matter for me in the john chapters that we've already covered um but i should be protecting my people and he like kind of has very different interpretations of protecting my people than i do but so do all of the other people in night's watch except for john i guess anyway the language as davos reads it by the light of the sword the sword is described earlier in this chapter as the idea of judgment we know that stannis is very much associated with that idea he's also pretty judgy um just in general like as a person and davos right we talked about him he's as opposed to being a sort of light a sword of shadow so there's some different clashing imagery here that i think is really strong goes well yeah and
0: The stuff about Ned is very strong here, right? Because his protection of bastards and protecting Joffrey uh, in that last moment and lying to save the children is obviously from his past experiences and seeing the children rolled up in Lannister crimson to stop Mm -hmm. people from seeing the blood seeping through the sheet. Uh, But it all flows back to Jon, right? The boy who cared, an eventual Lord Commander who cares, like you said. Is he mad? A little bit, but he still made some crazy progress during his reign as Lord Commander before sadly being murdered. Uh, And in the next chapter, which is a Jon chapter right after this, Jon has his own Blackwater where he's flinging barrels of pitch off the wall in a fight that feels like they should probably die during, right? They do not have enough strength to survive it, and somehow they survive. Jon and Davos are both treasonous traitors. John, even though he knew he could be executed for deserting, still made a huge effort to make his way back to the Night's Watch and tell them what was on its way to kill them, to meet them in battle. Davos still had the conviction to stand up and face Stannis after freeing Edric Storm, after doing what he thought was the right thing. Both of these boys, these men, accept that to be an honorable man and uphold their code, they have to be held accountable for the actions they do. Uh, They don't see themselves as better than any other man, right? They immediately turn themselves in for these actions and they come out on top, which is kind of a rare thing to happen in a story for underdogs. Except for the part
1: where John gets murdered. Well, besides that part. Besides that, that that part. That, you know, that's a. Fluke. It's a temporary state. Whatever. Whomst temp- amongst <laughs> us has not died at least once and then been resurrected no. via blood magic? Whom's amongst us? I actually truly. just
0: watched an episode of The Vampire Diaries where that happened. Oh. So I really feel like it's more popular than you all think.
1: Might be more common than you think. <laughs> 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 For any. It could happen to any of us. Uh, could happen to any of us. Also, murder, but. Uh, I Yeah, absolutely. With the, the treasonous traitors part and, you know, both of those, as you said, come up in this book. And I think we might discuss this more in the next book, too. Right. But both of them are doing this interesting thing here. Right. As you said, uh, they're acts of treason that make them traitors are some of their noblest acts. For John, it's coming back and warning the Night's Watch after everything. And he does it again, right? On a larger scale when he's like, Let's let the free folk through the wall. And he fucks up though when he's like, let's march on Winterfell. That, that was not part of his duty. That was uh things that he wanted to do for himself. But both John and Davos, right, and so that shows that this is like clearly a, a recurring problem with Stannis. Like this is a personal problem on his part. Cause Davos here commits treason by sending one bastard with King's blood away. Right? Mm-hmm. John does the same, but through a baby switch in sending away Mance Raider's child. So that's another way that that both of them really have this tie, and the way that you see them both really progress throughout this book and the next one. And by the next one, I mean dance. Yes, because
0: we do not see Davos directly in a feast for crows, unfortunately. And we oh, think this we is do. Be crazy. We think we do. No, that's true. We think we do. That's going to be crazy, though, that we now have a feast for crows to quickly, briefly discuss in our mm. Davos one, a dance with dragons. Uh, I think we'll say what we have to say about it, which is, it is a superior book to many other books.
1: Okay. <sighs> Some in this very series, wow!
0: Most within this very series, mm.
1: feast is still my favorite. Which, yeah, feast is again, my favorite. That 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 was a surprise to me the day that I was like, "What is it?" Um, yeah. I do feast, still really. Got? I, uh, I I think it's feast and clash are my two faves. For me, I think it's feast and storm. I'm yeah, still well, a little basic. You know. yeah, you are. <laughs> it's okay uh, uh, all of all of you <laughs> oh Wait. my god
0: well the next time we talk to all of you all of you the next time we will speak to all of you uh it will be about davos one in a dabada in a dance with dragons that should be next week so I'm excited to talk about Davos and Dance with Dragons. It's personally some of my favorite stuff. Uh, some stuff that's pretty compelling happens. I love getting to see the north. Yes. Uh, it's very exciting to me. Very exciting indeed. And the journey there. New places. New yes. adventures. Closer looks at old characters and new alike.
1: Yes. Some cool mm-hmm. hair dye. And
0: eventually, Skagos. We One won't day. get there,
1: but... <laughs> in. The- Tow wow No, t-w-w-w. Twow. to to TWO Everyone, thank
0: you so much for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of Davos. We're gonna jump right in before we get to our next new POV. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you send us a quick tweet, a message, an email, whatever you want. Let us Your know what own you liked episode? about it. Yes, your own Girls Gone Canon episode. Join the ranks. Become a Girls Gone Canon. We're on Twitter at GirlsGoneCanon, C-A-N-O-N. Or you can send us an email at GirlsGoneCanon at gmail.com. We love those as well.
1: And of course, keep up with us. Keep up with Davos on his adventures. And whoever else comes after, you can subscribe to us on many social media platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify... Pandora, iHeartRadio, Amazon Podcasts, Stitcher.
0: She's running out pod, of him.
1: Pod Pod Podbean Podbean where we actually host all of these. That
0: one, yes. And if you haven't, take a second check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash Girls Gone Canon. Again, this month's special Patreon episode will be a Song of Ice and Fire themed for our patrons in the Stranger tier, five dollars and above. They will get to hear all about Kohor. Yes, we're continuing our tour of the free cities. Can't wait to give it to ya.
1: Yes, we're going to sail to Kohor, uh, you know, while Davos goes sailing to some different other places. Lots of adventures for all of us. <laughs> I can't wait. And again, of course, uh, we have a Discord for patrons in the Thunder tier and above, $10 and up. And end of this month, we are going to have our brunch slash happy hour, so... Stay tuned for that. It's gonna be pretty fly because it's bird themed. Some birds oh don't God. fly. As always, I have been one of your hosts, Chloe, and I have been another one of your hosts, Eliana.
0: I love you. I, love you too. I don't think I really <laughs> said you, all Michael. of that
1: time. Yeah, thanks, uh, Michael.
0: This is a this is sure to give us joy for all the time to come
1: for all of the time <laughs> see you guys next um. week